Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Most of you will recognize this as what we call the parable of the talents. Now, talent in this context refers to a quantity of silver, not, uh, not an ability, but a quantity of silver. But Jesus tells this story uh, relating to us the whole aspect of what it is to be a steward. And he says in verse 14, it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. And as we read further in the story, we find that each one of these slaves, these servants, took the talents that they received and they did something with them. The person who had five immediately began to use those five talents to trade and gain more. The person who had two also uh, began to invest those two talents. And then uh, we're told uh, the interesting story of the person who had only received one. And um, he was very fearful and um, didn't want to risk losing that one that he had been given. And so in the story that Jesus tells, he went and buried it in the ground. And when the master came back from the journey, um, he invited those three slaves to come back and uh, show him what uh, they had done with uh, the things that he had given them. And the one, verse 24, who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one that has ten. As I reread that story in preparation for sharing these thoughts with you today, a couple of things leapt out at me from the very first paragraph that, for some reason, hadn't struck me quite this way before. In verse 14, Jesus said, The Master called His slaves and entrusted His possessions. To them, He never transferred the ownership or the title. He simply entrusted what belonged to Him to them. And as we consider this morning the fact that everything belongs to God, it is underscored here in this concept that what we have, God has entrusted to us, but we don't own it. It really belongs to Him. We are stewards who are given the privilege of using it. And one day there will be a day of reckoning. We're going to be asked, what did you do with it? And for believers, that day comes at the marriage uh, 
supper of the Lamb and the, the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ, we don't face our sin there. Because that's already under the blood and dealt with in the cross of Christ. But what will be examined there is the productivity of our lives. And what has been accomplished through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be a lot of hay, wood, and stubble on that day for many of us that just goes up in smoke. Because we squandered or wasted or did not invest the talent. The other thing that struck me, and this is very encouraging, at least I hope it's encouraging, is in the 15th verse, he says, He gave five and two and one, each according to his own ability. That the master invested in the servants according to their ability. God knows you. He understands you. He He made you. He knows what your abilities are. He is not going to ask of you more than you are capable of. And everything He asks, He provides His Holy Spirit to empower the accomplishment. But He will never ask you to produce more than than you are able to produce in His power. And so, you don't need to be worried about being taxed beyond your strength. Or, and that was really the problem with the wicked slave that buried the one talent. The problem was that he had been given what he was fully capable of managing. And rather than engaging in the process, he went and hid it in the ground because he did not want to be at risk. And so, as a consequence, he lost everything. And so, this morning, as we come to consider uh, the subject of everything belonging to God, I've given the second point in, in the outline this morning, the title of the trilogy of our endowment. God has given to each of us something in three areas. Our time, our talents, and our material resources. Time is the great leveling commodity, but our time belongs to Him. David in Psalm 139 says, O Lord, You know and have known all of my days when as yet there was not one of them. Our lives are a gift from God. They belong to Him. And the tangible, practical way, the quantifiable way to measure our lives is in terms of time. You know, when you look at uh, how many minutes do you have in an hour? Well, you have the same number that everybody else has. How many hours do you have in your day? Well, you have the same number that everyone else has. How many days in your week? And so on. All of us have time on a daily basis. The thing that we don't know is how many days that will last. God knows the answer to that question, but we don't know the answer. But we have today the same amount of time as anyone else. The President of the United States does not get an equal or or an excessive allotment in order to manage all the affairs of state. He has the same 24 hours you do. The president of a university, the worker in the factory, 
wherever has the same amount of time. We all have those 24 hours. And if you ever want to do an exercise that will bring some sobriety to your thinking about this, I hope it won't uh, uh, cause you to get overly hung up, but sometimes we need kind of a wake-up call, is uh, sit down and look at the face of your watch if it has a second hand, find a clock that does, and watch that second hand go around and think to yourself, that is my life passing around the dial. That's my life. You can measure it in terms of time. And all of our time belongs to Him. It's not ours. It's God's. And we are stewards. Now, what does a steward do? Well, another word for steward is manager. We have been given the privilege of managing the time that God has allotted us. And then what does a wise manager do who is a follower of Jesus Christ? He comes to Christ and asks for wisdom regarding the management of the time. Lord, I need your guidance today. I need to know how to spend this day with you. One of the things that Dr. Thompson said, and and it's an interesting uh, concept one way or the other that has either been abused or or what by Christians. I remember a singing group that I really liked back when I was in college. Uh, They were called The Regeneration, and they sang a song that I thought was fantastic. The name of it was, Let Me Burn Out for You, Dear Lord. Uh, I think that may have been a little too deeply ingrained in me. It's interesting that uh, David Thompson, and it was convicting to me as I listened to him, here is a man who went to West Africa uh, after training as a surgeon, went to West Africa to start a hospital, and uh, he said, I've got to pay attention to my body, I've got to eat the right things, I've got to get exercise, I've got to take care of myself or I'm not going to be able to do my work. You know, that's, that's an amazing statement. But he recognizes that he is a steward. And it is not a waste of time to exercise. It's not a waste of time to take care of your body. I, I needed to hear that this week. I needed to be reminded that I have a responsibility uh, to get the, the, uh, you know, the, the health and strength that God wants me to have. It's not a waste of time to sleep. It's not a waste of time to get the appropriate amount of rest and refreshment. It's not a waste of time to pray or to spend time in God's presence. It's amazing uh, what happens when we take those extra moments to commit the day to the Lord and find what He can do... (laughs) with the remaining time that we would never have been able to accomplish. It was Martin Luther who said, uh, I spend three hours every morning with God, except for those days when I am excessively busy, and then I spend four. Martin Luther understood that if he had more to do than he could accomplish, 
his time was better spent in the presence of God, allowing him to give wisdom and order and direction to his day than simply uh, shrinking down the quiet time and plunging into the work. Friends, God has given every one of us the same number of moments in the day. And He has made us stewards. That time belongs to Him. How does He want you to use that? Also in Psalm 139, David talks about his own creation. He said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Lord, you skillfully wove me together in my mother's womb. None of us are an accident. Not anyone here this morning is just a happenstance. Even if you may have been in the circumstances of your conception, I shared with you a week or so ago that, that, you know, I was not planned. I'm an adopted child. I was born to a single mom and circumstances uh, were not uh, ideal. But I'm not an accident. God knew me from the foundation of the earth. He knew my name. He not only knew when I would be born, He knew when I was conceived. That's when my life began. And He knew the plans that He had for me. In fact, Paul says to the Ephesians, uh, when he is talking about our, our redemption and salvation that comes by grace, he says that God has plans for us which He ordained from the foundation of the world that we should walk in them. In other words, there is a plan for our life. That's not a trivial cliche. That is a true, biblically sound statement that God has a plan for your days and your hours and your years. He knows what He wants to accomplish through you. And in that perspective, He has designed you and made you and woven you together in your mother's womb. You have the genetics, you have the environment, you have the parents. Sometimes, as in my case, I needed one set of genes and another set of parents. And that's not too hard for God. He can figure that out. And so He can put things together so that you have what you need to to become the person that you are today. and, And you are not a mistake. God has given you uh, the kinds of things that that you uh, need to have to fulfill the plans that He has for you. And you know, it's interesting that we look at our talents and we look at our, our own attributes. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts now. I'm just talking about those natural endowments that God gives you. you know, some people have fine motor skills. Other people have a, a, amazing minds and, and rational abilities. Some people are skilled uh, craftspeople. Some are artists. Some have different kinds of, uh, of abilities. And sometimes we, we get the impression, and it's the lie of the enemy, that if we give these things over to God, if we give our lives to God, somehow He's going to take all that stuff away from us and make us do something we're going to hate. What a lie! The thing that God has designed for you is a perfect match to His design of you. 
It will fit like hand in glove. He will give you back the, the fulfillment and, and put together your aptitudes in ways that would never happen apart from surrender to His purposes. And so sometimes we, we kind of miserly hang on to our lives as if, well, if I let this go, I don't know what God's going to do, but it, it won't be what makes me happy. You've heard me tell the story before of missionaries when they first went to Indonesia and, and uh, they discovered a fascinating way that some of the Indonesian nationals had of capturing monkeys. They simply put some food or trinkets that the monkeys were interested in in a narrow-necked jar. And these monkeys would come down and put their hand in the jar and grab hold of the thing they wanted. And then with their closed fist, they couldn't get their hand back out of the jar. And they couldn't climb the tree. They wouldn't let go of the stupid stuff to climb a tree. So all the, the, the nationals had to do was just run them down. Because they had a jar on their arm. And as silly as that image is, that is how many of us treat You know, we grab hold of something that we think we've got to have for happiness. And what we've done is stuck our hand in a jar and we've become a slave. We're in bondage. We're not free. And the enemy has trapped us. And now he's running us to ground. Jesus Christ said, I've come to give you life and that in all of its abundance. And if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I want to liberate you. I want to release you. I want you to find your greatest potential. I want you to be fulfilled. God wants to take the things that He's already built into your life, add to them the, the, the power and anointing of His Holy Spirit, endow you with additional spiritual giftedness, and turn you into someone that will just amaze you. If you will give Him the chance to direct your life according to His purposes, instead of trying to figure it out on your own. Dr. Thompson said something in his testimony that that stood out to me. I was kind of reading, but I think it's accurate to say that as he was moving toward the termination as a surgeon, some of his colleagues had the opinion, if you went off to Africa to be a doctor, it's because you couldn't cut it here. It's because you weren't smart enough, talented enough, you weren't able to... To, to handle the challenges of a practice in the United States, but we could probably make do in the boondocks. I, I just said, and the next time I see David, I'm going to ask him. And I'll tell you the answer. But I just sense that um, that bothered him a bit because he said, I want to be as a surgeon. What God has allowed David Thompson to do is not be a surgeon in an African environment where thousands have come to Christ, but with an surgical program, it has become a model institution and is academically certified and and uh, accredited 
to train surgeons. And he takes residents from the United States and Europe and other places and all over Africa. And he set up an institution where surgeons are trained. Not just the work is done, but it's become a teaching hospital. Isn't that amazing how God uh, gave him his heart's desire in the context of the work that he had called him to do? You know, one of the biggest struggles I had when God called me to preach, and, and it was a wrestling match with the Lord for, for a bit of time, was from the time I was three years old, if you asked me what I wanted to be, I would have told you a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was three. I knew that. And uh, when I was 12, I had heart surgery. And, and um, uh, quite apart from the uh, challenges of the surgery, it, I was very fascinated. I mean, it's not every kid that gets to go to university hospitals and have all these kind of state-of-the-art testing done. It's like, wow. I mean, I had some heart testing done in those days that were unheard of. And uh, somewhere, if it didn't get destroyed when my mom's house was destroyed, there's an album with a photograph of my heart uh, beating in it. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I was just amazed. I got to be on the inside of this cutting technology and... Uh, Never mind the fact that they were going to cut on me eventually out of it. But, but, but it just fascinated me and it deepened my passion for medicine. So when God began to deal with me about what he wanted to do with my life, I had this sense that if I give up my life to God, I'm not going to be a doctor. And guess what? I'm not. But what God gave me was a, a career of touching hearts in a totally different way. With much richer fulfillment. With much greater joy. And then, to add the topping to the cake, He opened the door for me to still study in medicine, to serve as a paramedic for nearly 20 years, to get involved deeply in diagnosing patients in clinical neurophysiology, to, to get involved in people's lives and to learn a great deal about medicine and to be involved in the practice and as a, as a side to my ministry vocation. I remember... Sometime late in the 1990s, I think it was 98 or 99, I was struggling over this very issue because some of you that have been around here for a long time and have stuck with me, I, you've looked on with consternation and confusion at my life at times. I know that you haven't always said so, but I kind of felt it like, what in the world is this guy up to, you know? And, um, and I felt that. And I was uh, sitting in my office with my Bible open asking God, Lord, can... Can you explain to me uh, why I have all of these different pulls and drives in my life? I mean, I, 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 it, people don't understand going in three directions at once. And I was reading in Isaiah, and I came upon the passage, and God spoke very clearly to me. Does the potter, does the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? 
And in essence, what I heard God saying, not these words, but this was the gist of it. What I heard God saying to me is, stop arguing with me. I made you the way I made you. And I will do with you what I want to do. And you're just supposed to like it and enjoy it. Don't worry about it. And I realized that God had given me the best of both worlds. Because he never takes stuff away that he doesn't have something better in mind for it. And I wouldn't trade the course that God has chosen for any path that I might have mapped out for any reason in the world. Friends, every talent you have, every attribute you have, every ability you have belongs to God. It's His. If you will give it to Him, He will not rob you of joy. He will fulfill your joy. He will take you down roads that will give you the greatest satisfaction. And some of you are sitting here thinking, wow, that'd be nice if I was 20 years old, but you know what? There's a lot of water that's gone under my bridge. And there's still the rest of the journey. We're not done till we're done. There's still the days and opportunities out there, and you have the abilities that God has given you. The question today is, what do you want to do with me today, Lord? I am available. All that you have given me is available to you. I lay my life down, and you can do with it as you please. Finally, we have our material resources And everything we have, God has given us. Every good and perfect gift has come from above, from the Father of lights. There's nothing that... What do you have this morning that you haven't received? You know, some people say, well, hey, I... You know, you talk to people who view themselves as self-made individuals. They say, well, I I got... I worked this by the sweat of my own brow. This is the product of my labor. Oh, yeah? Who do you think gave you the strength to do that every day? Where did your health come from? Where did your mental capacity come from? Where do you think that came from? You didn't make it yourself. What do you have that you have not received? And I'm not just talking about money now. God has given some people the the ability to make amazing sums of money. Many others just managed to get by, but, but you have... A home, you have a car, you, you have uh, other kinds of possessions. It all belongs to God. Jesus is the one who said, and interesting that it's quoted in the book of Acts and not in the Gospels, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And what he means by that is the use of all of the things that you have. Do you have a home? Your home is happier when the doors are open to hospitality, and you're willing to bring people in. Your food tastes better when you're sharing it with good friends and family. Uh, when you offer someone a ride that needs transportation, or, or you uh, take your resources, and I don't want to put Tom on the spot, but isn't it fun to bring your camera and your stuff and take pictures of the kids at Bible school and go back and make pictures out of them? You know? If you didn't take your camera anywhere, what fun would it be? 
He's sitting taking pictures of the living room wall. That would get old in a hurry. It's so much more fun to, to, to use your stuff and to be a blessing with it and to just share it. Because everything that you have, God has given you. And what do you have this morning that He wants to use? Some people feel like they can't give money. I, I just, I don't have enough money. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but money is not everything. What else do you have? Can you bake a loaf of bread and take it to a, a sick neighbor? Can you make a batch of cookies and just take it to a friend? Can you invite someone to share a cup of tea with you? What do you have? It's always sweeter when it's shared. We're stewards of all of our resources. This past Thursday afternoon, I was at the district office interviewing a candidate for one of our suburban churches. He comes from a non-alliance background and he needed credentials, a license within the Christian Missionary Alliance, which means we had to interview him and see if his theology agreed with ours and see if his background, the deeper life, and all those kinds of things were part of it. And, and uh, we were proceeding in just that, that uh, sequence of questions and interview. And we asked him about the Great Commission Fund and support of missions. And that led into a discussion of tithing and and sharing, uh, you know, how, what his views in his own life and, and teaching the congregation. And a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about giving, actually giving uh, finances or resources uh, into the church or the kingdom. Scripturally speaking, God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he asked the question, if I had a need, would I ask you? I mean, just think about that a moment. So you have to ask yourself, really, why does God say, bring the tithe to the storehouse? Why does he say through Paul to the church at Corinth, on the first day of every week, set aside that percentage that you have determined in your heart, that proportion to give. Why does he say that if he doesn't need it? It's a very interesting question. And actually, it's to teach us more about ourselves than to provide for God who doesn't need our provision. He's the one that gave it to us. That demonstration of regular, consistent, faithful giving is a lot like prayer. Remember when we talked about prayer, we said that prayer was a partnership with God to find out what He wants to do and ask Him to do it. Your will be done on this earth like it is in heaven. It's the same with, with the giving, that God has chosen to make us partners with Him in the kingdom, this church, the mission endeavor, the other work of the kingdom is not going to advance unless it's supported. There is a direct connection there. It's not God that's going to fail, but we might. And the point of God setting up a system like this is so that 
first of all, you and I will recognize that the first fruits do indeed belong to God, that He has given us everything, so we give Him the first, the best, right off the top. We put it in His hands. We say, God, I know the whole flock You've given me, so the first lamb belongs to You. The whole harvest You have given me, so the first fruits I give to You. I demonstrate my knowledge that I am dependent upon You and that You have blessed me by honoring You with that first portion. That's a part of it. Honoring God and recognizing that all the good gifts come from Him. The second part is by making a commitment to, to give a portion. And I'm, and I'm not leaving the concept that it all belongs to Him. But by making a commitment to give a portion, what you are in essence saying is, because let's face it, I, you know these preachers that say, if you give a dollar, God's going to give you back ten. Let me be real honest with you. If you give a dollar, you're going to be short one dollar. That's the way it works. You're going to not have that dollar. So I, I just want to be straight with you about that. And when you give that dollar, not knowing for sure where the next ones are coming from, what you are saying is, God, I recognize that you're my provider. I recognize that my life is dependent on you. I am trusting you. I'm making this commitment, this investment, and I am trusting you to take care of me. God honors that. God honors the trust that is invested in Him. And so, friends, when we consider the whole matter of everything belonging to God, the real question that I have for you this morning is, have you acknowledged that? You know... (laughs) You really can't give Him what's yours. You can only acknowledge to Him what is true, that He owns it all. You do have the choice to take it and consume it and hoard it and bury it and waste it. And come to the end and have nothing to show. And also be ingrown and withdrawn and shriveled up as a person. Or you can live with a big heart and invite the Lordship of Jesus Christ to govern the way you spend your time, the way you invest your abilities, the way you share your resources, and find that what Jesus said is true. I have come to give you life in all of its abundance. In another story, Jesus said, unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if you lay your life down and give it up on the altar to God, it will spring forth and bear much fruit. And that fruit will last forever. Jesus said, don't put your treasure here on earth. 
whatever it is, your career, your hobbies, whatever it is, don't, don't invest it here on earth. Invest your treasure in heaven. It won't rust. The moths won't eat it. The downturn in the economy won't even affect it. And when you're done, it really will be there. You can take it with you if you make the deposits ahead of time. And when you're finished, you will find that reward is waiting. It all belongs to him, but he's willing to share the joy of the harvest with your life. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for giving to us everything we have is yours. We recognize that. We don't always live that way, but we recognize it's true. And so this morning, we want to freshly lay our lives on the altar again and remind ourselves and, and tell you we are yours. Do with us as you please. And thank you for the promise that the best life on earth is the one lived under your Lordship. In Jesus' name, Amen.